Cohen come to read Psalm 25? All right, this is Psalm 25, y'all. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord. <coughs> and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes. And with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let not be put to shame where I take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Amen. Our catechism question for today is number 19. Let's read it together. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? And the answer is, read it together. Yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from punishment for sin by a redeemer. And this Short answer, yes. God reconciles us to himself by a redeemer. And the supporting scripture is from Isaiah 53, 10 to 11. Let's read this together as well. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Marie, would you come lead us in prayer? morning, dear family. Let's talk to our Father. <clears throat> dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, both honored and humbled to be here in your presence on this beautiful Sabbath morning. Lord, as we just look around us in this place where you've chosen for us to live, we are in awe of the beauty of your creation. Uh, we just see your majesty wherever we look, from the grand to the smallest little tiny item. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for um, reminding us of how awesome and great you, that you are. Lord, as we look out this morning and see this wonderful thermal layer that you bring in to protect us, I wonder if it's a reminder of how when you brought the pillar of cloud over the tabernacle for the Israelites, if this isn't just another reminder of your presence with us every moment, Lord, that it's not just um, weather advent, but in fact it's a reminder of your presence with us through every moment of every day, Lord. Thank you for reminding us. Thank you that we can just look out and remember that you are here every single moment of every single day and that we just take such things for granted, Lord. Please forgive us. Lord, um, you are such an awesome God from every big detail to every tiny detail. Forgive us for uh, not making the most of what we have. Lord, please forgive us for the things that we do that hurt your heart. Mm. Holy Spirit, uh, reveal to us the things that we do that we don't even acknowledge as sin. God, you are God of righteousness, and we just sometimes dismiss the things that are not, um, that we don't always accept as sin. Sometimes we just make light of things that really hurt you, Lord. Please forgive us, Lord. Lord, um, we just pray today for our family members who are suffering from physical ailments, from uh, trying to recover from surgeries and for upcoming surgeries. Lord, you are the great physician. We ask for healing for these people. We ask for healing for mental problems. We ask for healing for emotional problems. Lord, we pray for our families who are overseas and for their families that are left here to um, forge on without their partners. Lord, we pray for all single families, um, parent families who are trying to care for their families. It's not an easy job. Lord, we just um, thank you and praise you for your presence with us at all times to give us the strength to carry on. Lord, we just um, thank you and praise you for our so many blessings that we take for granted. 
please help us not to make idols of the things that we have in life, but to look to you for the things that we think we need and to um, not take for granted um, what we do have, Lord. Lord, we just bring before you our upcoming day camp and something more. We just pray that as you go before us and make the plans for us, that all of these things would bring true glory and honor to you, Lord, that many would come to salvation because of these programs, Lord, and that everything would bring honor and glory. We ask all of those things and for Pastor Dan as he brings the message this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right. So we are, uh, we are on question 19 in our catechism questions. But just before I get into that, uh, one of the things I just want to say, you know, is we, the world that we live in today, um, really, if you're really watching, the world appears to be increasingly content to remove God from public life. That's the world we live in today, folks. That's the reality. The world that we live in, it appears is increasingly content to remove God from public life and to ignore the idea that there is a God who not only uh, intimately is involved with his world, but also longs to be in relationship with those who have been created in his image and his likeness. That is just something that we just need to understand. That is the world that is spiraling out of control right now. They don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge God. They don't want to believe that he is intimately involved in everything that's happening and that, that he definitely does not want to know you personally. That is where we live today. And I think it's so important for us to, to see that and understand that. So once again, as we, as we step into these catechism questions and the thing that I want to say and just keep reminding us as you read, anytime you do doctrine or catechism or whatever, a question in and of itself is just a question. You need the questions prior to and the answers prior to to lead you to the next question. Doctrine, when you study doctrine, when you talk about God, then it should just ultimately lead you either to the Word of God or to Jesus Christ, which will lead you to the Holy Spirit, which will lead you to man, which will lead you to sin, and just so on and so forth. So we need to understand as we read these things, as we study them, it's a fabric that's all woven together. And it's so important for us to see it that way. So as we consider where we are right now, we've been dealing with this whole area of the depravity of man, of sin. And we don't like to talk about that. The world that we live in does not like to talk about sin. The world would, would like to say that there is no such thing as sin. And yet we need to understand that there is sin that has separated us from God, that we are completely removed from God and His presence, as we've been singing about this morning, that needs to be restored. And so we need to see and we need to understand that there are two things as we move through this this morning, that we need to consider the seriousness of sin and, and our state of urgency and despair. Did you catch that? Because of sin, there, within each of us should be an urgency or a need or 
or even despair, like something needs to change. Something needs to happen. I'm not okay. You ever been there? I'm not okay. This is, this is one of those moments when you talk about sin, you should say, I'm not okay. I have a need. There's something wrong with me. Okay. And we need to see, we need to understand that. Secondly then, and it's just, it's beautifully woven in there is this, this gratefulness for the fact that God is in control. Amen. So we have this huge need because of sin. We are desperate. There's urgency there. At the same time, then there's this, this, there ought to be this gratefulness in us for the fact that God is in control and that from the beginning of the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world were even set in place, God had a plan to restore you and I back to his favor. That, that's awesome. That is just incredible. So last week we talked about this question, will God allow disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? And the answer is no. The answer is emphatically no. I mean, when we do things that we know are wrong, we hope that we don't get caught. Okay, that doesn't mean there's not a consequence. Okay, we just hope that we don't get caught or found out. All right? But the answer is no. Every sin against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God and His righteous law, um, it, that's, that's where we are. God is, um, is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them both in his righteous judgment, both in this life and in the life to come. And we just need to understand that. If you are a born-again believer today, my friends, you can only live in sin for so long. You can only choose to do wrong for so long. If you are his, God, your father will stop you. He will discipline you and course correct you and bring you back into his presence. Okay, amen to that. All right, if you're not a believer today, then I want you to understand that your sin separates you from God and he loves you and he wants you to be restored to him. But our sin will be punished both now and later for eternity. Sin, rebellion must be dealt with. And so as we move into question 19, and I'm not going to read it yet to you, but I just want you to think about this. Imagine, if you will, what it would be like to be sentenced to death and placed on death row waiting for execution. Just imagine. Imagine being sentenced to death. You're on death row and you're waiting for execution. All right? It's imminent. It's coming. I don't think, seriously, I don't think that there is any doubt that there would be that, that, that this would be um, absolutely terrifying. I would be terrified. Okay, if I were sentenced to death, knowing that ultimately I am going to be put to death because of wrong that I had done, I would be terrified. I would be terrified of being put to death that way. Now, just imagine what it would be like for someone else to come in and take your place at just the last minute, just as you were about to be executed. There you are. Maybe you're strapped to the table. Maybe you're strapped to the electric chair, whatever it might be. Maybe you're next in a noose, whatever it might be. And someone comes in at just the last moment and takes your place. Okay? Just think about that. How would you feel? How would you respond? Do you sense in that just before someone took your place, do you sense the desperate urgency of the situation? I'm about to die. 
I'm about to be put to death. I'm about to be wiped out. And then someone takes your place. It's incredible. Do you seriously think about this? Do you think anybody would ever die in your place? You think that? I mean, we would like to think. We would like to think that we might be strong enough or brave enough to, to die for someone. But this is the purpose behind question, uh, Catechism Question 19, which asks this in this way. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? That's the question. The first question was asked, 18 was asked, um, will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? And the answer is emphatically no. So then we, it goes right to the next question, and it should lead us there. Is there any way to escape punishment? It should lead us there. Okay? If you're going to ask questions, it, it, this is a great question to ask. The question considers what it would take to free people from the punishment due them for disobeying God and being brought back into his favor. It's just an incredible thought to think about. So again, just a couple of thoughts. Can, can a man on death row save himself? No. Can sinners under God's judgment save themselves? No. No. The answer is definitely no. Why can't people say themselves? God's word makes it very clear that there is no possible way for people to make themselves right with God. Did you get that? The scripture makes it emphatically clear that there is no way for you or for me, for anybody, to make themselves right with God. You know, often I hear people say, well, I'm, I, I hope that I've been good enough for God to accept me. I hope that I'm okay in the end. Folks, that's a wish, not a hope. Okay? I hope. I hope that I've done enough. Can you do enough? No. Do you sense the urgency? Do you sense the need? That's what these questions that's what scripture that's what god's plan drives us to it drives us to the point of seeing man's fall from grace man's fall from god's relationship in the garden and then god's plan all along to restore us through the gift of his son jesus christ but in between is this humongous gap this humongous void that cannot be filled by anything else but jesus christ everything leads to christ and so it's important for we, us to understand this, uh, this, uh, this thought, this biblical thought that is there for us. The, conse the consequences of sin are death. And once we are sentenced to death, this, the chances of saving oneself are non-existent. They're just non-existent. And folks, I just want to tell you something. When you're talking to people about Jesus, when you're sharing faith, I think one of the things that we, we have a tendency to do because we don't like to offend or, or cause people to struggle, we, we kind of glaze over this area of sin. Okay, we just kind of, well, we, we fell, but then God came. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. So if you would accept Christ as your Savior, everything will be okay. So just pray this sinner's prayer and everything will be all right. Can I tell you what the true sinner's prayer ought to be? God save me. 
Help me. Rescue me. That's because we see a need. Sin is there and sin breaks our relationship with God. And people need to know that. And they need to struggle with it. They need to see the urgency of it. They need to see the great need that they have and that you and I have or have had. They need to see it. They need to wrestle with it. So Isaiah, we've, we've read a, a portion of that passage, and I just want you to turn your Bible to Isaiah 53. I want to read uh, the first 12 verses of that passage. And uh, um, so if you would open your Bibles. Um, I don't have the pew number if you're pulling the Bible out from under, underneath there, but uh, Isaiah 53, uh, Old Testament, just about in the middle of your, of your Bible, okay? Uh, Isaiah 53. And this is a description of Jesus Christ. This is a description of God's rescue plan, of God's redemption, of everything. That, and, and it also is a description of you and I and our, our need and where we, where we are and our sinfulness. And it starts out in verse 1. Who has believed uh, what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one, uh, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we dis esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the, chastise, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to slaughter, and like a sheep that was uh, brought before shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who concerned that uh, who who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? stricken for the transgressions of my people that they uh, and they made a grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth yet it was the will of the lord to crush him he was put he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many 
and makes intercession for the transgressors. It's just an incredible passage, you guys. Just amazing. And as we read this, there's some questions that we just want to answer real briefly today. How was God satisfied? It's right there in the text. Satisfied. How was God satisfied by all this? It, it tells us that he was freely and, and mercifully satisfied, that, that God himself freely and mercifully satisfied the, the demands of his own justice and mercy on our behalf. Did you catch that? God freely and mercifully satisfied the demands of his own justice and mercy on our behalf. That's amazing. That's incredible. He made the righteous life of his servant Jesus be the substitutionary or the propitiation, if you will, offering for the unrighteous. In obedience to God's will, Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived and in so doing fulfilled the just requirements of the law on our behalf. Not only that, but Jesus died the death that we should have died for our sin and rebellion. In Isaiah 53, 10, it graphically reminds us of the heavy price for our sin. At the cross, catch this folks, at the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of God's curse against sin and fully satisfied the demands of God's condemnation against our sin. Folks, seriously, just take a moment and think about this. Think as far back as you can think of all the wrong that you have done and think about just that alone being on the, on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Just you, not anybody else, just you. It's enough that he died for you. He bore the full weight of God's curse against sin that separated us from him. In so doing, Christ's atone, Christ atoning, that is, um, that Christ uh, paying the price, so the atoning death that, that we see, that we experience, um, uh, is, is uh, so let me put it this way. In Christ's atoning death, we have been given his righteousness that satisfies the justice of God. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 21, right in there, it says that God, that that, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Okay, in, in the New Living, it says, and he and he poured, he took, he took out all of our iniquity, all of our unrighteousness, took it all out of us, and in exchange poured back into us all of Christ's righteousness. Not ours. Amen? That's mind-blowing. To think about just like a can opener, big can opener opening you up and just ripping out all of the unrighteousness of your life, all the sin, all the dirt, all the crud, all the nasty, all the gross, all the pain, all the tearing it all out of you and in exchange, in replacement, pouring the righteousness of Christ, of God into you. Amen? That's amazing. This great exchange is at the heart of the gospel itself. It's God's redemption. It's God's rescue. It's God's forgiveness poured out again and again. And perhaps perhaps the most uh, startling aspect of, of Isaiah's language is that it pleased the Lord to make this exchange. That's incredible. It pleased the Lord to make this exchange. In other words, 
somehow it actually pleased God to hand his innocent son over to be mocked, brutalized, and crucified. Folks, that's, that's nearly impossible. That's an impossible truth to fathom until you realize why God was pleased to do this. It pleased God, but then you have to ask the next, que the next question, why? Why did it please him? Certainly God was not pleased with sin. God's never pleased with your sin or my sin. Never, ever. He's never pleased with it. But he was pleased by the active and passive through suffering, obedience of his son who continued to trust him and love his people no matter what the cost. God was pleased to put Christ his son on the cross for your sake and mine. Amen? He was pleased. Folks, in the same way that there ought to be like de despair and need and, and like the reality of, of what we need, then the other side of it is, is just the total awe and shock that someone would take our place. That someone did step in while we were on death row and take our place. God was not pleased for their sin, but, but pleased by the active and passive through suffering, Christ's suffering, the obedience of his son who continued to trust in his father and continued to love God's people no matter what the cost. God was pleased to lay his just judgment upon Jesus Christ in order to save sinful people. And that is so important for us to grasp and to cling to. God was pleased because through the cross, the Son of God would be glorified and the people of God would be saved and the justice of God would be satisfied and the love of God would be revealed. That's a mouthful. Let me just say it again. God was pleased because the, through the cross, the Son of God would be glorified. The people of God would be saved. The justice of God would be satisfied and the love of God would be revealed. That's incredible. The cross, folks, is not a tragic accident. It did not catch God off guard. It was God's will. It was his plan to save his people through the work of the Redeemer and to uh, reveal the immeasurable riches of his mercy and his glory. In the, in the catechism answer, it says that he freely and mercifully made this exchange. Freely and mercifully made this exchange. The catechism is careful to point out that, uh, that the cause of God's, of God's punishing Jesus in order to rescue us was mere mercy. Mere mercy. Think about that. Mere mercy. The language mere mercy means grace alone. Grace apart from any other consideration, because there was no other consideration, out of mere mercy, God saved you. You can applaud to that, folks. Out of mere mercy, grace alone, God saved you. God's salvation is available to you. Preacher Char, uh, C.H. Spurgeon wrote, salvation is all of 
grace. Now, just as we're wrapping this up, as believers, as the church, okay, as brothers and sisters in Christ, although uh, this grace that saved us later trains us to avoid ungodliness, it does not depend on your obedience in any way. God's grace doesn't depend on your obedience. Because if it did, we're in a heap of trouble. So the same grace that saves us is the same working grace called sanctification that helps us and trains us to avoid ungodliness, that helps us to avoid sin. But it's not dependent on our obedience. As we consider the besetting sins that, 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 that trip us up and, and the ongoing weaknesses of our lives, here's the thing that I just want to challenge you and I with that we must cling to God's mere grace in that aspect of the gospel every day. His mere grace. His mere mercy. Hmm. See, God, God did not give His Son in view of what He would get out of our lives. Did you catch that? God, God didn't give His Son, Christ, in view of what He would get out of our lives, but merely because He loves us. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, Just a small portion of Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 8. But God demonstrated His own love towards us that while we were yet sinners. Catch that? While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, while we were yet uh, void of, the, of, of a relationship, there's a gap. There's a gap between us and God. But while we were yet enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ, while we were incapable of doing anything in and of ourselves, God demonstrated His own love towards us. And Christ dying on the cross for us. So important for us to catch that. This is, this is exceedingly good news. This is, this is the news that, that we need to live out every day. This is the news that we need to share with our friends and our neighbors. This is the thing that we just, it just needs to, to come out of us. And, and so one of the things that I just want to say, how do you do that? How do you live this out every day? Well, here is a, a virtue, if you will, or a behavior. Here's a response to the question, okay? The question, again, let me just read it to you real quickly. Is there any way to escape judgment and be brought back into his favor? And the answer is yes. There is because of Christ, our Redeemer, okay? But here's the deal. Here is the, the behavior, the virtue. Young people, kids, this is where it is. Adults, this is where it is. Out of this, out of the response, that should arise from your understanding of this question is gratitude. Pure gratitude. In other words, here's some questions and parents in your bulletin, there's some things that you can take home and talk about with your family and your, and your children and, and they're so important. How does it make you feel when you think about Jesus taking your death sentence for you on your behalf? 
Man, if that's not enough to talk about during dinner, I mean, there you go. How does it make you feel? What is gratitude? Here, I wrote a, a, another simple definition. Humble thankfulness. Humble thankfulness. How do we, you express gratitude towards God for what He has done for us? How do you do that? How does it come out in your life? Because of God's mercy, how can we live lives of gratitude? Those are questions to think about because these questions should lead to behavioral change. Does that make sense? Doctrine, doctrine that it's just doctrine or, or theology that's just because doctrine is what's lived, it's practice, okay? Theology that is not lived is nothing. So, so theology, what we say we believe in this whole series is called we believe, okay? That's the theology, but there should be then doctrine that is practice. That means that there's behavioral change. Excitement, energy, love, humility, grace, mercy, forgiveness, all of those things that they're not ours. We can't, we can't conjure those up in our hearts and our lives. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. That's the working of the Spirit in us. But He calls us to live that way. But it begins, I really believe that it begins with a grateful heart. Grateful. Grateful that I was once on death row. Now, I'm a child of the king. Amen? I'm a child of the king. So this morning, I just want to say again, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, can I just tell you this? God made you. He made you to be in a relationship with you. All the way back in the garden, mankind, Adam and Eve, said, God, we don't want you. We don't need you. We can be God without you. That's called sin. It's rebellion. And that rebellion was then inherited and passed on to every man, woman, young person, and child from that point on. There is a need. There is an urgency. There is a gap that cannot be filled except through mere mercy, the mercy of God. And God invites you to call out, to cry out to Him and say, God, save me. Save me. Save me from myself. Save me from myself. And for those of you that have already made that cry, that appeal, then you can say, God, God, thank you. Thank you. I am so grateful. And with that in mind, we're going to sing a song in closing that just speaks to that gratefulness. And let's stand as we sing this song together. Lord, I thank you.